Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time of worship so far this morning. And uh, really, Lord, uh, it's all about you. And, and so thank you. Thank you for uh, all that you have done, are doing, and will do in this uh, fellowship we call Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. And we do thank you uh, for the lives that we are privileged to impact, to come alongside to. And and thank you for what you're doing, the transformations that we see happening. And, and Lord, we ultimately, ultimately know that it's because of you and your word transforming us through the Holy Spirit. So once again, uh, be the teacher, be the counselor. We don't want to just be hearers, we want to be doers. Knowing that as we do that, as we walk in faith and obedience, we will be transformed uh, more and more into the image of Jesus. So we give you this time now. In your name. Amen. You don't have to turn there, but Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I love that, and you hear, often hear me use those verses, because that word transformation means metamorphosis. From the inside out. And it happens through the renewing of your mind, which is ultimately, predominantly, the, the teaching of Scripture, the appropriation of it, the hearing of it, the doing of it, and the renewal that happens. And as you walk by faith and obedience, you, you will be transformed, sanctified, right? The really cool thing that I realized over the last several weeks as we've been learning what biblical fellowship is, is that you have right here a laboratory to actually live it out. You know, nothing wrong with, with when we need to know what the Bible teaches about hell and heaven. But those are like way off or, or sometimes distant, right? Kind of good to know about, but, but let's get something practical, Bill, right? And, and not that it's not, but sometimes we, we make a disconnect. Well, that's heaven and that's hell and that's end times. What about today? Well, over the last several weeks, we've been understanding what does the Bible teach about fellowship? That's daily, that's weekly. In fact, yesterday, we had fellowship. Right? Now, that could be defined in a whole lot of different ways, but one aspect of yesterday was it was fellowship. This is fellowship. The question is, over the last several weeks, we've been asking, do we understand fellowship biblically? Because we have to understand it biblically to understand our responsibilities in making fellowship actually happen. Because we're all part of not just attending a fellowship, we are all part of being in fellowship. Radical difference. Radical difference, right? You know, I don't know if any of you ever even read the titles, but over the last several weeks, we've had a play on our church name as the title of this series. It's Ojai Valley Christians in Fellowship. That word in changes everything because now it makes it an action word, right? We just don't attend Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship as a passive spectator where it's all about me and, and, and worship team sing music I like and pastor sing or, or pastor do a sermon that I like and, you know, have donuts that I like and coffee that I like, right? Because I attend Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. In a passive, me-centered way, right? We said, no, no, no. 
Biblical fellowship, actually, they help us understand the dynamic behind biblical fellowship. You have to have that little word in. Ojai Valley Christians in fellowship. Hmm. So you mean when I go to church on Sunday, I'm in something? I'm called to be an active participant in something? Yes. You know, you've heard me say this the last several weeks. How many of you, when you woke up this morning, and I know many of you have, because some of you get here really early to help this all happen, but how many of us, when we wake up to go to church, actually say, Lord, I'm going to be in fellowship. What can I give today? How can I minister to somebody before I leave? What can I do to enhance the fellowship? See, if you will not just be an attender, but in, you come here with the, with the heart and the mind of being an active participant in fellowship, who reaps the benefit? We! Now, you do as a byproduct because, oh, thank you for praying with me or thank you for caring, thank you for listening. Right? You leave here having impacted a life. But what would happen if all of us said, on Sunday morning, I'm going to be in fellowship and I have an active part to play. Do you know what happened here? Well, it's already been happening for four years. For four years. You know, there's a when you start in ministry, there's this principle. They, they call it the 80-20 principle. It's a business principle. But typically, the way it works in churches and businesses is, you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Right? That's how come pastors are always, we need volunteers. Who wants to do child care? Who wants not Right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Well, we have been blessed since day one. Well, it's been flipped. 80 plus percent of you <laughs> are engaged. I mean, the percentage of, of your, your active participation is off the charts for, for what is typical in churchdom. So I know that you get it. And I know that, that this series on fellowship, for some, you know, it's, it's challenging to me because because sometimes I feel like I'm preaching at the choir. Because you're here and you're engaged and, and you do self-sacrificially give. You, you drive each other around. You take meals. You do things that we don't even know you, you, you're doing until after the fact. So you, I understand that, that a very large percent of you, percentage of us know what it means to be in fellowship, engaged, that we have all things in common, right? But what's, what's important is where, where we're going to is we have, to, we have to intentionally guard, and we've looked at this the past few weeks, we have to intentionally guard that our fellowship and what we enjoy doesn't become self-centered. Doesn't slide from what we call phileo love. I like you. I like hanging out with you. We laugh. We go on trips. We do all this stuff. So keep making me feel good. That, that we have to guard against, you know. It, it, the church is an organism. It's very important to understand that. It's not an organization. And if it's an organism, healthy things continue to what? Grow. Grow, right? Which, which takes proactive choices, proactive management, proactive, you know, uh, changes at times. You have to be on top of it. How many of you have ever uh, tried to lose weight and, and you did really good, but then you kind of plateaued? You got a little comfortable... And you kind of went on cruise control. And then maybe the scale started to go back up a little bit. But it was just ever so slightly. And then 
months later, you're like, what happened? What happened? Right? Right? Because, because we, you lost focus. We got a little bit comfortable. Well, the church as an organism, with all of us participating, is the same thing. We have to stay true to Scripture because we can get comfortable. And then we can get complacent. And then suddenly there's infighting and there's nitpicking and there's this and there's that. And you're like, what happened? Just a year ago, we were celebrating and we were loving on each other. And now that side of the room just doesn't want to go over there anymore, you know? What happened? (laughs) It's because we can lose our focus as an organism, as the body of Christ, and get stuck at phileo love. And that's why it's important that we're going through this really step-by-step in terms of understanding fellowship because the root of fellowship is relationship. First vertical with God and then this way. And that relationship is rooted in what? Agape love. Agape love. Now here's the thing. If you or I are going to be at a place... Somebody knocking. If, if, if you or I, like, Lord, <laughs> we're not that church, you know, You're, you can come in, Jesus. That was kind of scary. Um, I lost my train of thought. Did you hear the knocking or was that just me? Okay. Who heard knocking? Okay. Thank you. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you. So if we, as a body, are going to continue to, to have agape love flowing this way, what is agape love? It is self-sacrificial love for the benefit of the person, with nothing expected. What? You mean it's just a one-way street? Yes. That is agape love. That is the love we are called to express to one another in the body of Christ. In fact, we're going to start looking next week at John 13. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Whoo! That's a big statement. It's not an option. It's a command. So you might as well turn to the person next to you and go, I love you, man. (laughs) It's a command. You're like, wait, can you command somebody to love someone else? Can you command somebody to love someone else? Yes. You can. How do I know that? Because Jesus commanded it. Right? Because agape love at its root. See, see, why do we struggle with that? Because love in our culture is feelings. So we say, oh, how can you command someone to change their feelings? I'm not, Jesus isn't commanding you to change your feelings. He's, calling, he's commanding us to make a choice to self-sacrificially give of myself to you with nothing in return. That, agape love is an, is, is an issue of the will. It's a love of the will. has nothing to do with feelings. has nothing to do necessarily with what I get back. That's why Jesus can command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a when you feel like it. It's not a Diana, you know, if you woke up on the right side of the bed, you love Thelma. If not, it's okay. You know, it has nothing to do. It is a straight up command to love one another because it is agape love. It is a, is a love born out of a conscious choice I make. To love you, Betty, even when I don't like you. <laughs> you see the difference, right? Because our culture is very feelings-oriented. What do you mean i got to love Bill? 
He made me mad. I don't like Bill right now. I'll love him when I get around to liking him. Right? No. So if we're going to, as a church, have this agape love going out this way, 24-7, it's not just Sundays or Wednesdays, we, A, have to always be, be attuned to the leading of the Spirit and be aware that phileo love is not enough, right? We also have to be aware of ourselves. Okay, this, for, for a church body, because we're an organism of which all of you are part, for a church body to be flowing agape love in fellowship, it takes individuals flowing agape love. Right? And we're going to look at Turn to Revelation. I know we we're going to look at Acts, but for time, let's just go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 2. And let's look at a church that started off really good, but kind of slid and got complacent, kind of lost focus. Revelation 2. Revelation 2.1 To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds. He's talking to the church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you, did not, uh, if you do not repent, I will come to you and move your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Right? Let's look at uh, verse 2 again. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. And you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love speaking to a church. And you know what? He's speaking to a solid church. On the outside, this is the church that many of you would attend if you went to another city based on what you say. Solid teaching, doctrinally sound, persevering, testing false teachers, right? Doing good in service, probably got it all dialed in, very organized, right? So a lot of good happening in this church, one that we would probably attend just because it looks like they got it dialed in. And yet the Lord says, you know what? It's not about the externals. Something has shifted, church at Ephesus. It's a heart issue. And what's interesting, it's a heart issue. He's speaking to the whole church. But who is the church made up of? <laughs> who is the church made up of? The people. He's speaking to individual Christians. He's not saying, hey, pastor, get your congregation in order. He's saying, hey, church in the city of Ephesus, something has happened corporately, but corporately we're made up of individuals. So he's kind of saying, hey, y'all, you got to do a heart check individually because you individually make up the body collectively. 
something has shifted. And in your service, and in your doing, and in your orthodoxy, something happens in your heart. You left your first love. And what's interesting, about 35 years earlier, in the beginning of the book of Ephesians, he says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul, 35 years ago, wrote a letter to this church and said, Woohoo! I hear about your love. It was one of the hallmarks of this church. Suddenly, in the book of Revelation, he says, Hey, church, got a little problem. 35 years later, you know how to do church. You know how to do potlucks. You know how to do trips. You know how to do Sundays. But the heart, the heart level, something, something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong. And, and there may be a lot in a, in, a, in a church like this, a lot of reasons for that, but we've got to all start checking our hearts. We all got to start checking our hearts. Sometimes, I'll tell you this, just, just to be real honest with you, Sometimes as a pastor, with the, with the things that we deal with all the time, sometimes, you know, you can experience, you get to that point a little, Lord, I'm feeling a little burnt out. Lord, I'm feeling a little weary. Lord, I'm feeling a little bit tired, you know, just at the human level. And at those times, I've said, Lord, okay, time out, time out, time out. What's going on in my heart? Has something happened in my heart to where, I'm, for whatever reason, in the midst of all the good, and all the serving, and all the doing, and all the preaching, and all the counseling, my heart has shifted from my first love into doing, and fixing, and running programs, and to-dos, and all this. And, and sometimes it's convicting for you because I have to get along with the Lord. He says, dude, you've got to check your heart here. Because they're not the problem, it's your heart. So don't get mad at them. And that, that, that can happen very subtly because we have all these good intentions and we want to demonstrate agape love. And if we're not careful, we start to slide into the flesh and it's all about us and our efforts and duh, and duh, and duh. And little by little, our heart is hardening and hardening and hardening. And pretty soon it's like, I don't even like them, Lord. And you want me to love them? He's like, whoa, time out. What happened to you, buddy? I said, dude, come, just come back to your first love. You've got to come back to your first love. And for many of us in the church, if, if church has become sort of eh to you, and all this talk about fellowship and agape love, and it's just bouncing off, you may just need to sit with the Lord for a bit. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is, is, is there a heart condition? Have I left my first love? And been focused on all the external stuff of church, of of Bible reading and quiet times and Wednesday nights and you know all the stuff of church that just can very subtly harden our heart. Because how many of you, in the busyness of your life, have ever told the Lord, Lord, I'm too busy. I'll get back to you. I don't have time for quiet time. Come on now. I don't have time for quiet time. If you get to that place, you've got to call time out. Because that's the road to losing your first love. I do it all the time. I've got to make this call. I've got to check my text. I, gotta, da, 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 da. I was reading a book where 
where a high, very high percentage of people check their phone within an hour of waking up. Hmm. Or an hour of going to bed. Right? I'm guilty. I've shared that before. You know, you want to you jump into the world and you want to jump into the news. Did I miss anything? Did I miss a text? Did I miss an Instagram photo? You know, what happened while I was asleep? You wake up. You don't go to the Word. You don't even have time to pray. You go, okay, I check all my feeds. If you're not careful, you don't keep first things first, it just bleeds out. And that can happen as a church if we get so consumed with the doing this and we don't take time like even today to say, Lord, maybe we need to check our heart. We're going to be in true fellowship. Because here's the thing. My, my concern is that when, when I'm preaching on fellowship, some of you are hearing it as more to-dos. Oh, he just means we've got to be more busy. we just got to serve more. Busy. No, 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 no. What I'm telling you, if as a church we are going to demonstrate and live Biblical fellowship, our hearts have to first be right. Mine, yours, everyone. Because only as we're right this way, with the agape love and understanding God's love, the Bible says His love is poured out into our hearts. If that relationship is right, that love being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit is going to go this way. If there's a blockage, I can still do this, but now it's just sort of phileo love, service, works, duty, drudgery. And if you've gotten there, you might want to check yourself because you may have a you may have a, a clog. There may be an obstruction. You understand what I'm saying? And 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 it's a good check. And so this morning, you know, I, in the last couple of days, I said, Lord, well, well, how can how can we check our heart? Where is there something? You know, is there a story? Is there an illustration that kind of talks about this? And and let's go to Luke seven because because this kind of came on my heart to maybe help us individually and collectively check, check where we're at in this, in this idea of, of losing our first love. Matthew, Mark, Luke. What's interesting, as you're turning there, over that 35-year span, right? Remember Church of Ephesus? Hey, I hear a lot of good things about you, right? You know one of the things that happened in that 35 years? The book of Revelation, he's writing to second, third generation believers. So that zeal and that enthusiasm of launching the church and this is all new and let's all be all for one and one for all and we're all in this together kind of like four years ago in Cindy's living room. Yeah, 35 years later, it's second, third generation. They're comfortable. That's what I'm talking about. We have to guard against. Over time, sliding into this kind of complacency. Because it, it'll bleed out. It'll bleed out, right? So look at this story in, in Luke 7, starting in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
Tell me, teacher, he said, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been given, uh, forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This story, right, very important, that last verse is, is very important to the story. She wasn't saved by what she did. There was no work salvation here. Okay. Many believe that actually she had either heard Jesus, followed Jesus, but at some point had put her faith in Jesus even prior to coming to this. Okay? In that culture, when you invited a rabbi or some kind of celebrity to your house for a dinner, it was custom that you would leave the doors open and actually anyone could come in. And so people who actually weren't invited would kind of line the walls and they had permission to listen to the conversations. So culturally, that's why she showed up. She was allowed to be there, right? And then she does some incredible things, right? Look what she does there. All right? We look at verse, uh, down to 44. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. She anoints her head with perfume. She just kind of goes, boom, Jesus. And she's overwhelmed. She's crying. And she just has this, this heart that wants to express love for Jesus, regardless of who's in the room. She doesn't care what people are thinking about her. She is so focused on Jesus, so wanting to express her love extravagantly to him, that she doesn't care who sees. She doesn't care who's looking. She doesn't care what they're saying. Why is that? Well, the Bible describes her as a woman from the town, you know, a sinner. Many people believe she may have been a prostitute, so her reputation, right, and all that kind of stuff. So she comes in amidst all these religious people and has this, this interaction with Jesus where she just pours out her extravagant love. And Jesus says, well, Simon, it's because she understands that she's been forgiven much. Right? question for us in this story is do we identify more with her or with the Pharisee host? You see, the Pharisee host, Jesus comes in, he doesn't even do anything culturally they're supposed to do. He's, be some, he's, he's almost become so cavalier, so casual, so, hey, what's up, Jesus? Thanks for coming. Right? He's got it all together. In his mind, as a Pharisee, he thinks he loves God way more than her. Because he's doing all the right things. You see his heart condition? His heart has be, is not right. He doesn't even do what he's supposed to do. He's become so cavalier. 
so cavalier with the Lord. And the Lord tells him that story. Hey, two people, oh, money lender. Well, a denarii was one day's wages. So one guy owed a year, about a year and a half worth. Another guy owed two months. And of course, Simon, in his pharisaical mind, who calculates and compares, says, oh, yeah, it's the 500 guy. Jesus uses that line of reasoning to bust him. And it's a heart issue. He says, hey, what about you? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? And it's a check for us. It's a check for us who sometimes, when we've been in church, first generation, second generation, one year, ten years, twenty years, we can get to that same place where we're comfortable, almost cavalier. Oh, yeah, well, I don't feel like going. What happened to that zeal, that, that passion we had for the Lord when we first were saved and we understood His grace and we understood we're not going to hell? Right? And, and as I was thinking about this, look, look back here. Look at that story he tells because this is, this is where I think the Lord wants to, to help us understand coming back to this, this heart issue. Look at verse 41. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. What do they have in common? They owe money. What's one of the things we have in common in our need for salvation? Romans 3.23. All have sinned. Right? We share that in common. Let's keep reading. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. What do they have in common? They're stuck. There's a problem. They're both unable to pay him back. Is there anybody in this room that can earn your way to heaven? We are saved by grace through faith, right? Not by the works will any be, anyone be justified. All right? So we have a debt. All have sinned. We were stuck to. We were lost. Hopeless. Right? On our own. Right? So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him most? What did they both receive from this moneylender? Grace. Anybody here receive grace? Right? And you know what, what, what's interesting? Something that, that we don't think about. Diana, if, if, if I owed you $5,000 and you canceled that debt, thank you, <laughs> who still incurs the pain of that lost money? Diana still. The money, the, the debt, the, the pain of that 5000 doesn't just go away because she forgave me. She says, okay, I'm going to forgive you your debt to me. I'm willing to bite that bullet. See? So who here had a debt paid that you couldn't pay and somebody else bit the bullet for you? And as a church, individually, we're all debtors. There's no difference in that story. The Pharisee wants to make a distinction. Well, I'm not as bad as Bill. Bill needed a lot of grace. Me, I grew up in the church. I'm just a little grace. No, no. Let's level the playing field. We all had a debt we could not pay. We all received grace, undeserved merit, right? 
and we all had someone incur our debt for us. Who here has been forgiven much? He who is forgiven much loves much. We don't have to drive ourselves into the ground trying to prove anything. You don't have to get all caught up in duh, 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 doing it not enough. Is God happy with me? Is God... Nah, 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 nah. No. Receive the grace that your debt was paid. Receive the fact that He bore that and let that overwhelm you and let the extravagant love flow. You get what I'm saying? She understood that. She understood that and... There was no church booklet. Okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Uh, break the jar. What? Why do we try to overcomplicate things in the church? Don't overcomplicate it. If your debt has been paid, love Him. Receive His love. Let Him pour it out to you through the Holy Spirit and then just kind of hang on for the ride. You get what I'm saying? If you're here and you're singing a song and you're overwhelmed with His love, I give you permission to do this. Even if everyone behind you is still seated. You get what I'm saying? We get so bound up. And so, what are people going to think about me? Anytime you get concerned about what someone's going to think about you, read this story. And let the story of this sinful woman come into this home with all these religious leaders And all she wanted to do was express her love to Christ and didn't give a care that she was doing it right. Can we just do that here? Can can we just have the freedom to let God pour His Spirit into us and then let it flow out this way? And you might sign up for something that I can't believe I did that. (laughs) Honey, you signed us up to do what? I don't know what came over me. (laughs) What came over you was the Holy Spirit just flowing. Try not to get into your head too much. Okay, we know God is a God of order. We get... That just drives me crazy sometimes. Let Him flow. Let Him be God in your life. Amen? If you just want to love Jesus, just love Jesus. I think He gives you that permission. Don't check with me. You don't have to check with me necessarily. Sally, God bless you. Sally, check with me about something. Can I dance once in a while? I appreciate that, right? You just because I know you don't want to be a distraction or anything. But I'm like, woohoo! I appreciate your respect. I respect. I know you want to respect, and you don't want to, you know. But sometimes you just got to move your feet, huh, Sally? Sometimes you're singing a song and out of joy for the Lord, you just got to go. Right? And she's like, I'm going to come up to you. And Dwayne, I don't care what you think because I'm dancing with you. I'm dancing with you, Dwayne. Right? Right, Sally? What a wonderful, joyful expression of love. Amen? Amen? And look at your notes here. I put some quotes here as we close that, that really are going to take some time to I just put them in here at length. I was, I was like, you know, they just have to, they just have to think about these. How many of you do devotions? How many of you have a devotional? Now, don't raise your hand on this. How many of you are devoted? How many of you are devoted? 
be. Kind of, kind of to make this real, a little bit of application. Be real careful that your acts of devotions become a substitute for being devoted to God. You can do a whole lot of acts of devotions without being devoted. See the difference? Let's look at, look at uh, this definition by Charles Finney. Devotion is that state of heart in which everything, our whole life, being, and possessions are a continual offering to God. That is, they are continually devoted to God. Devotion is that state of the will in which the mind is swallowed up in God as the object of its supreme affection, in which we not only live and move in God, but for God. Devotion is that state of mind in which the attention is diverted from self and self-seeking and is directed to God, the thoughts, purposes, affections, and emotions all hanging upon and devoted to Him. Okay, so here's the thing, guys. It might be necessary for somebody here to call time out on your acts of devotions to come back to the story of the woman, Luke 7, and rekindle your being devoted. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes it's a, it's a check. Lord, am I doing just acts of devotion or am I devoted? And here's the thing. When you're devoted and this love is flowing this way, it's going to flow this way. Your desires, your motivation to be in the Word, to be in worship, to pray, to check, encourage one another, that's just going to go like this when this is happening. Amen? Huge distinction between acts of devotions and just being devoted. Just be devoted, right? But this takes time, okay? It's not a one-off. This really will take some time for you to, to meditate on daily, maybe even weeks to go from here to here because churchiness is so ingrained doing is so ingrained right we'll close with this many of you are familiar with a guy named Charles Spurgeon right let me share part of his autobiography he says this Charles Haddon Spurgeon spends a chapter telling of the five years of soul agony he went through before he got saved at age 15 so Charles Spurgeon very famous Christian leader five years Wrestling with God at the heart level. It says this, Although he was outwardly a Bible-reading, church-going son of a pastor in Victorian England, the Holy Spirit took him deeper and deeper in seeing his own pride, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, and unbelief. He observes that much of the flimsy piety in his day was due to the fact that people professed, professed salvation without any deep conviction of sin. He states, too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. He who has stood before his God convicted and condemned with the rope about his neck is the man to weep for joy when he is pardoned, to hate the evil which has been forgiven him, and to live to the honor of the Redeemer by whose blood he has been cleansed. You know what Charles Spurgeon wrestled with? A guy who grew up in the church? Sin. His sin. And for five years he wrestled and wrestled until finally the Holy Spirit, he, he was the woman. And he goes, oh, I've been forgiven much. And I put his quote for you to think about. Too many think lightly of sin and therefore think lightly of the Savior. When we understand our debt being paid, when we let 
the Holy Spirit open our eyes that we are the ones that are forgiven much? Watch what happens to how it plays out this way. As a church, we're always going to come back to this. Because as a church, we can never forget that this body is made up of the much forgiven. This is a body of the much forgiven. And as we live there and stay there, you know what's going to happen? Now we're the much loved. <laughs> because we understand we're much forgiven, much love will flow here. It's when we veer off and we get consumed with self, then there's an issue. That's why we celebrate communion. Because every week we're reminded that we are the much forgiven. And being much forgiven, we are commanded to love much. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing a song before we do uh, communion. This is a song we many of you are familiar with. But here's the thing. Are you much forgiven? If you are, just allow this song. You don't even have to focus on singing it. Maybe you listen. Maybe all the doing this, you've been like this. Ah, it's me, it's me, it's me. Ah, i got to do this, i got to do that. It's summer, it's in the school. All this stuff. Maybe this morning, it's time to just say no. Come back to your first love. It's been a few weeks. It's been a rough month. Just come back. Take a deep breath. And it's okay to be one of the much forgiven. Let's just be there before we take communion. Amen?